Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Mini Lowdown, the weekly podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. My name is Young Lim. I am the desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Today is Thursday, July 11th. We've had a busy week in Muni land, and let's get right to it. And let me introduce our participants today. We've got Greg Clark, head of research, and our senior reporters, Caitlin Devitt in Chicago and Simone Barabo in Florida. And we've got a new reporter starting, who recently started, I'm sorry. Her name is Ava Lorenz. She'll be covering Puerto Rico, the Commonwealth, and she has extensive uh, experience writing in the region. She most recently wrote for Caribbean Business. Welcome, Ava. Thank you very much, and hi, everybody at Muniland. Okay, so let's go right into it. Let's find out what our participants will be talking about today. Uh, Simone, what's on your docket? This week, I'm talking about Puerto Rico news, along with Ava, and between zombie bonds and baby bonds and actual bond deals, there are a lot of new instruments emerging. All right, look forward to that. Ava, what will you be talking about today? Yes, I will be talking about a dispute that the island mayors have with the Financial Oversight and Management Board. And, of course, I will be talking a little bit about the arrest uh, yesterday of two former government officials along with other government contractors. Caitlin, and what's on your uh, agenda today? I'm going to be talking about a lawsuit between Preston Hollow and Nuveen that's getting a lot of attention, as well as another lawsuit that was brought last week um, against Illinois' governor and comptroller that attempts to void about $15 billion of Illinois general obligation bonds. And last but not least, Greg Clark, what's, a, what's on your dock? I'm going to be talking along with Caitlin, about uh, recent events in Bridgeview, Illinois. All right. Thanks, everybody. And let's get right into it. Let's start with Simone. So, Simone, you mentioned Puerto Rico's zombie bonds and baby bonds. That's, that's quite colorful uh, wording there. Could you tell us what they are? Yeah, it certainly is colorful. And if you look at them really, really broadly, they're both the same thing, a bond representation of elected representatives' disagreements with the Financial Oversight and Management Board, which is the body put in place by the federal government to get Puerto Rico out of its financial crisis. Baby bonds are part of a new incentives law signed by Governor Ricardo Rosello. Under the law, starting this year, if you go to kindergarten, the Puerto Rican government puts $1,000 into an account. That's the baby bond. And over the next decade and a bit, that account collects interest. And then when you graduate from high school, you can access the money, use it to go to college or start a business or other expenses related to starting out as an adult. Now, Governor Rosello announced this the same day that the Oversight Board passed the budget. And it didn't pass the same budget as the legislature. It imposed its own budget on Puerto Rico. And Roseo did this at a press conference with a bunch of kids who were about to go into kindergarten there. And it was sort of a sad thing to ask in front of them. But the obvious question is, is there money for this in the budget? And the answer was no. Governor Roseo is confident that they'll be able to work with the board to get the money, which would be in the $20 million range out of a $9 billion budget. So that's not huge, but $20 million is still $20 million. But he's also confident that he'll be paying Christmas bonuses this year. And the oversight board is trying really, really hard to prevent this. Last year, they, meaning Roseo, shuffled money around in the budget 
but the board approved in order to pay the Christmas bonuses, which the board did not approve. This year, the board put in a bunch more safeguards in the budget so that that couldn't happen. But the governor's argument on the baby bonds is that if the board is serious about long-term growth, they'll allow this. So we'll see if the kids who show up at that event and the rest of Puerto Rico's kindergartners actually get that $1,000 investment. So if that's the babies, I'm afraid to ask, to zombies? Yes. Zombie bonds came up in an interview with Christian Sabrino, who's the executive director of the Fiscal Agency and Financial Advisory Authority, which is essentially the financial arm of Puerto Rico's elected government. As you know, the Oversight Board has proposed a planned support agreement which would restructure general obligation bonds and public buildings authority debt and has holders of about 17% of the debt on board, mostly holders of public buildings authority bonds. So that's not a lot of bond holders, but it's not nothing. But other key parties aren't on board, including the elected government of Puerto Rico. Now, Sabrina's argument is that the Oversight Board can submit whatever plan adjustment it likes to the courts. The plan of adjustment is expected in the next week or so and will be based on the plan support agreement. But that, that plan of adjustment is not going to be viable if Puerto Rico isn't on board, and that means it won't be confirmed. Now, he's saying it's not viable because who on earth is going to buy bonds if the elected government of the issuer doesn't support their issuance? He called any such bonds zombie bonds and used an uh, explicative to describe how they trade. The board responded that they haven't decided how they'll structure the geo debt, and so they don't yet know if they'll need the elected government's cooperation in issuing it. So that's interesting that this close to the filing of a plan of adjustment, they don't know what the restructuring debt instrument will look like, but it also in a way misses the point. The government can pass any law at once. In some cases, the oversight board can declare it invalid. But who will buy debt that's being imposed on an elected government that clearly does not want to pay it back? It's a hard sell, and I think it may indeed trade, as Sabrina described. Now, Simone, you mentioned um, there are some deals that are getting done, right? Uh, so the oversight board and elected government, government aren't completely at odds? Yes. So there's the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority Restructuring Support Agreement that the government is on board with. And there's a pretrial hearing today on getting a preliminary court approval for that deal. Sabrina said that he's under a non-disclosure agreement and can't discuss negotiations related to the Puerto Rico Aqueduct and Sewer Authority. And there's also, and this is interesting, a Puerto Rico industrial development company, that's a entity known as Pridco, a bond deal that they're doing. Under the terms of that deal, bondholders will get 94 cents on the dollar. Sabrina said that the deal is more than fair to Puerto Rico given all the other bondholder concessions, or rather, it's a single bondholder that's making the concessions, Golden Tree Asset Management, which holds enough of the debt to get a Title VI, which is a voluntary restructuring approved on its own. Because Golden Tree has allowed for lengthening of maturities and left $30 million in cash up front, Pritco with $30 million of cash up front. So he's saying this deal is a more than fair deal. But still, they're getting $0.94 cents on the dollar. And the government isn't on board with a geo deal that pays only between $0.23 and $0.73 cents on the dollar. But Sabrina said it wasn't fair to make that comparison. 
one, the Pridco one, is backed by lease payments that private companies make for government buildings, for use of government buildings. The other is backed by, as Sabrina described it, the whole of the Puerto Rican economy. And because the first is discrete and the second isn't, what money is there to pay the Pridco payments will be used to make payments under the deal. But you can't measure the ability to pay GOs in the same way. All right, 94 cents on the dollar. <laughs> Thanks, Simone, for your continued coverage, and hope you enjoyed your time in Puerto Rico recently. I did. Okay, let's move on to Ava. So. Yes, hi. Hi, how are you? So, so tell me, Ava, what's going on with the uh, island's uh, municipalities in Puerto Rico? Well, the island mayors have a dispute with the Financial Oversight and Management Board because they want the government to pay their share of pension payments and payments to the public health insurance funds. Uh, of course, most of Puerto Rico's 78 cities are in deficit, so this is certainly going to help them. However, the Oversight Board opposes that. They will be discussing their next steps today, which could go from seeking alternate funding uh, by imposing some taxes or going to court. We have to wait and see. Uh, but this is part of the broader disagreement between Puerto Rico's elected officials and the oversight board. The legislature had included these payments in the central government budget, but when the oversight board imposed its own budget, this was a major part of the $500 million cut in central government payments. And going to court to some extent has already happened, albeit not over this exact issue. San Juan sued the oversight board, arguing that it is not a covered entity under federal law. In other words, arguing that the oversight board can't dictate its finances. Now, yesterday there was some big news about two former government officials who were arrested on corruption charges. What's going on with that? Well, besides the uh, former Puerto Rico Health Insurance Administration Director Angela Avila and former Education Secretary Julia Kelleher, other individuals arrested were the president of accounting and auditing firm BDO Puerto Rico, Fernando Scherer, and his employee Alberto Velasquez. Scherer resigned less, late yesterday. Also arrested was a woman by the name of Glenda Ponce Mendoza, who worked as Kelleher assistant and Mayra Ponce-Mendoza, who is her sister. Uh, the Justice Department said that Kelleher and Avila Marrero defrauded the United States government and Puerto Rico in a contract scheme upwards of $15.5 million, $13 million in the Education Department, and $2.5 million in assess. In the case of the Education Department, Kelleher allegedly steered contracts between the Education Department to the firm Colón and Ponce, which was a company owned by Mara Ponce Mendoza, one of the arrested. This was accomplished through a corrupted bidding process pursuant to a request for proposal in which Colón, the firm Colón and Ponce was provided with a competitive advantage over other bidders based in part on the close relationship between Kelleher, Glenda Ponce Mendoza, and her sister, Mayra Ponce Mendoza. A similar scheme was conducted by Avila Marrero to help BDO get an advantage in the bidding of contracts. Of course, yesterday, U.S. House Natural Resources Committee Chairman Raul Guijalva asked for the governor's resignation. He noticed governor, the governor's inability to deal with corruption, and of course, this committee is the one that has jurisdiction over Puerto Rico. 
The local legislature is all trying to avoid a repeat of what happened, but they have not come up, come up with any alternatives. Um, this arrest, for obvious reasons, have shaken up the government. The Deputy Inspector General for the Department of Health and Human Services for Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands region, Jose Luis Soto, said that developments affect the credibility of the local government and may affect the island's ability to get federal funding. Uh, of course, Resident Commissioner Jennifer Gonzalez also says the allegations of government corruption may impair her efforts to obtain federal health care funds, which are very much needed. All right, uh, Ava, thank you very much for your work, uh, and welcome to the team. All right, let's move on now to Caitlin. Caitlin, we've been covering this Preston Halloween lawsuit for a while since it was filed in late, uh, I believe, February. Can you give us a bit of background and fill us in on the latest? Sure. Well, Preston Hollow is a you know relatively small investment firm slash hedge fund that's based in Dallas. It mostly does private placements, like it crafts a deal with an issuer and an underwriter, and then buys 100% of the bonds later, maybe reselling them on the market. Um, like you said, it sued Nuveen on uh, in late November, in late February, sorry, February 28th of this year, um, and it, it sued it saying that. Um, that Nuveen, which is the largest buyer of high-yield munis in the market, has been trying to block it, block Preston out of the market by threatening to withdraw Nuveen's business from any banks or broker-dealers that do any business with Preston Hollow. Um, they also, Preston Hollow also says Nuveen has trashed Preston Hollow's reputation um, in a defamation charge. So that's what the lawsuit's about. A trial is set to start on the 29th um, of July. It's for the 29th and 30th of July. And last week, Preston released a series of transcripts. There had been a bit of debate. There's been subpoenas of um, depositions of different bank, different market participants, broker-dealers and banks, as well as um, telephone transcripts of telephone conversations between Nuveen and different banks and broker-dealers. And there was a bit of a debate over whether or not to unseal those and make them public. New Preston Hollow won that. So last week, Preston started to release some of those transcripts. We saw the first um, four released last week. Well, what are the transcripts of? Well, those four um, are of telephone conversations between Nuveen employees, including um, head of high-yield munis John Miller, who's also named in the lawsuit, um, and employees of Deutsche Bank. And um, they show Nuveen trying to persuade Deutsche Bank to stop providing funding to Preston Hollow. Um, actually, Deutsche Bank never actually did that, but those are the conversations. And um, then there's more that were released uh, late yesterday, and these are conversations. I haven't gone through all of them. I've just started to, but apparently between different bro- between Nuveen and different broker-dealers, um, you know, with the same topic, Miller and other Nuveen employees trying to get the dealers to stop doing any business with the smaller firms and saying it's going to block out or it's it's going to stop. It's going to put, they say, put it in the box, any bank or broker dealer that does business with Preston Hollow. Well, can you tell us what the transcripts uh, tell us? Well, they, they kind of provide a glimpse into how competitive and aggressive the high-yield muni market is and how important relationships and clout and reputation are, you know, from sort of a high level. That's what they kind of show us that. Um, in the Deutsche Bank transcripts, we hear the bank employees are almost begging Nuveen not to withdraw its business 
and Naveen um, warning the bank that it has a very it is now imposing a very strict zero tolerance policy against doing business with anyone that does business with Preston Hollow. Um, we hear Naveen employees repeatedly kind of degrade Preston Hollow's deals as predatory. And um, we see that at least one person apparently lost their job due at least partly to this new policy, what Nuveen calls its new, quote, policy. Um, that's the head of public finance at Wells Fargo, who was fired in late 2018. So Nuveen's threat to, you know, withdraw the business from the banks is pretty serious business because Nuveen, the, you know, which is a mutual fund giant, represents, often represents, not always, but usually the largest revenue generator for a lot of those banks. So in the transcripts, Miller repeatedly says he's got most of the bro- major broker-dealers and banks on his side on the street and that he's driven um, not by competition but because Preston, Preston's deals are bad for the market in general because they take advantage of issuers and try to flip bonds. So you see him sort of saying, you know, I'm having conversations with everybody. I think I've got most people on this, on my side. I've got these different banks, and he's naming all the major ones, Bank of America, you know, um, Merrill Lynch, Chase, uh, Goldman, and saying, you know, you guys have to be the ones also that are going to that are going to be on our side. You have to choose. Uh, do you think any more transfers are going to come out? Yeah, I think that more are going to come out. Um, as I said, some were unsealed yesterday. I'll be writing about that today, and um, so those will be coming up. There's. Um, you know, somewhat separately, it seems that there's a government entity that wants to get a copy of some of the audio recordings between Deutsche Bank and, and Nuveen. So we haven't found out the name of that government yet, but um, it might be one that's referenced in some of the transcripts because Miller talks about city council attorneys that are pushing back against Preston Hollow. So maybe it's from that government entity might be another one. We're not sure. Um, there's actually a hearing today and that was held this morning. I think it's over. And um, there's going to be some rulings from that, and, and that hearing in part is going to address whether or not um, the gov- that government entity will be allowed to get access to some of the audio recordings. Sounds like there will be a lot more to come in that case. Meanwhile, moving on to Illinois, there's been another Muni lawsuit filed there, correct? That's right. Um, so last week, hedge fund Warlander Asset Management joined up with the, the executive director of an Illinois-based conservative kind of policy group called Illinois Policy Institute to file the lawsuit. It's a bondholder slash taxpayer lawsuit. They seek to invalidate $14.3 billion of Illinois general obligation bonds that were issued in 2003 and 17. Um, so they're contending that the, the bonds are le- were illegally issued because they were essentially deficit financing and didn't finance a specific person, uh, I'm sorry, a specific purpose which they say is required by the Illinois Constitution. So the suit was filed last week. No hearing's been set, and technically the court has not even yet um, allowed them to go forward enough to file the lawsuit. So that's the first step. So we're still waiting to see if um, this goes anywhere. Well, what were the bonds used for? Well, the 2003 bonds are part of a lot of probably long-time muni participants, I remember, a, a $10 billion pension obligation bond deal that the state did. And they used um, about eight of that to pay the unfunded liability and then another, like, two and a half or more to cover the state's pension contributions for two years. So there's that idea that that, that part was used as sort of a deficit financing to cover the state's pension um, contribution. 
And the 2017 bonds were used to pay off Illinois' infamous bill backlog, which is money that the state owes to vendors, and it reached under a, a budget impasse with the former governor. That bill backlog reached almost $15 billion. So the state issued $6 billion of GOs to pay some of that down. Then what was the uh, market reaction to all this? Well, it was interesting. Spreads widened immediately um, after the news of the lawsuit became public. Spreads on the 10-year went about 20 basis points wider. Um, that's according to MMD. But when you talk to a lot of participants, or when I've talked to different market participants, a lot of them have kind of minimized the lawsuit, saying it probably has little chance of survival on its merits. Um, and they're also saying that unlike you know Puerto Rico, in this case, the state actually wants to make the debt payments. And it's the hedge fund and the taxpayer who want to invalidate the bonds. So that's a big difference to some people. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say where it's going to go with the lawsuit. That brings a lot of uncertainty. So we'll have to see where it plays out. And like I said, you did see spreads widen. So people were reacting to at least the headlines. And um, meanwhile, the governor, J.B. Pritzker, and the state comptroller and the treasurer, who were all named, immediately dismissed the lawsuit, calling it garbage and saying it wasn't worth the paper that it was written on. Okay. Thanks a lot, Caitlin. All right, let's finish it off with Greg Clark. Greg, one of the lesser-known stadium finance deals was done by Bridgeview, Illinois. Tell us a little bit more about it. Thanks, Young. In 2005, the village of Bridgeview, which is a suburb of Chicago, issued $135 million in general obligation bonds to finance a stadium for a major league soccer team, the Chicago Fire. Uh, since then, the Chicago Red Stars, a women's professional soccer team, also, has also begun to play its games, its home games at the stadium. Uh, Caitlin, you know the Chicago metro area um, much better than, uh, than I do. Uh, do you have any insights into, uh, I don't know where Bridgeview is relative to Chicago, anything else going on with that? Well, it's, it's south of the city. Um, it's about 15 miles, so it's pretty close, although, you know, with Chicago traffic, it could take forever to get there. But it's usually about a half an hour. It's 15 miles, and it's south of the city. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the Red Stars. The, another interesting thing about that team is they're, um, they're, there was four um, – that's a good team. And people that follow women's soccer kind of know about that team. And um, there's four players on that team who are just – on the team that won the um, the U.S. Women's World Cup. So there's going to be a parade. They're coming back, I think, this weekend or next weekend, maybe. There's going to be a parade, and they're going to come back, and they're going to be playing games. So you might see attendance get a little bit of a boost okay. from that. Well, that's, that's good news, uh, especially because Bridge, Bridgeview has struggled for years to cover debt service payments on the stadium, which has never generated enough revenue to pay the debt service. Uh, the original bond issue was re reported was repeatedly refinanced, uh, and the village deferred payments ten years further into the future than originally planned. The final maturity of those bonds of the general obligation bonds is is now 2046, which is also the last year of the Chicago Fire's lease. And Bridgeview also issued securitized sales tax bonds similar to what Chicago did. Uh, not too long ago, in order to refinance some of the GO bonds. But most recently, Bridgeview and the Fire have negotiated an agreement that would allow the team to exit its lease. This is happening as the Fire is reportedly planning to move to Soldier Field 
in downtown Chicago. Under terms of the, of the transaction, which is expected to be finalized within the next 30 days, the team will pay the village $65.5 million to exit the lease. The village, assuming the deal goes through and there's no sign that it will not go through, the village has not yet decided how it will spend the money, which includes $15 million up front, with the rest coming in over the subsequent, the next 15 years. That's according to the village's financial advisor. So if Bridgeview uses the monies from the, uh, the fire to reduce its outstanding debt, its credit standing should improve. Right now, the village's geo bonds are rated double B minus by Standard and Poor's and double B plus by Fitch. And S&P is expected to resolve its, uh, they've got it under uh, some type of watch or credit watch developing maybe. Uh, S&P is expected to resolve that, uh, that status uh, basically as after the 30, soon after the 30 days lapse as possible. All right. Well, thanks, Greg. Thanks, Caitlin. Thanks, Simone. And thanks, Ava. And thank you to our producer, Andrew Constantino. But most of all, thank to you, our listeners, who tune in week after week to the Mini Lowdown. Uh, check and keep logging into DebtWire.com for the latest on distressed municipal debt. Have a good day.